we just sang together about the glorious king, the chief of all authority. Now, what a beautiful devotional confession. Thy mighty acts and terrible, that means awesome, awe-inspiring shall men with awe confess of thy great goodness They shall sing in perfect righteousness, goodness, righteousness, might, most gracious and compassionate. This is the king. It's God who reigns above. His wrath is ever slow to rise and bounded is his love. And this song was called The Glorious King. This is the man, this is the God who has all authority. And look at these characteristics. This is what we're looking at tonight with God's help. As we study further in the fifth commandment. And so without very more introduction, let me revive the fifth commandment where God tells us to honor our father and mother so that our, la- our life may be good and long in the land of the living. And as I've been trying to expound to you, that means that as a father, mother, or as a husband, or as a governor, I am also to be honorable. And we'll look at that tonight from the scriptures, from Matthew 20 particularly, and go back to Ephesians 5 to look at one particular office bearer. And that's what I said, an office bearer. Those are not just elders, deacons, and ministers in church. An office bearer is anyone who bears the office of authority. And I kiss a father, that's a husband, that's a governor, that's a ruler, anyone. That's an owner of cattle and hills that belong to the Lord, it says in the scriptures. That's an owner of a piece of land. That's all our people who are to subject to the fifth commandment in the part that applies to them. Ah, And then, then, of course, we have the other side of the commandment where we're dealing with those who are under authority. So God is saying in the fifth commandment, honor my authority in the first place as you exercise it and secondly as you respond to it. So let's just for a moment refresh our mind on the first point I made yesterday, last week Sunday night. First of all, that all authority in this universe is in God. Turn with me, please, to Revelation 4. I'll just read a few verses to illustrate the truth of this. All authority in this universe is vested in God. Revelation 4 introduces us to the vision that John saw in heaven, having spoken about the churches. He says, and after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, a trumpet talking with me. It's a very loud voice, which says, come up hither, and I will show thee the things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, 
throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he that was set was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow around the throne in sight like an emerald. So who is on this throne? Who does John see here? John sees here God, the Almighty. Later in chapter 5, we see Jesus as he goes on that throne after his ascension. And then read first with me the last verses of chapter 4, verses 8 to 11. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about them. It appears to be like these angels that Isaiah saw. And they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts gave glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne and liveth forever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, and they worshiped him that liveth forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are, and they were created. Just uh, one thought on that. We were created Give pleasure to God. And friends, if you live for your own pleasure, then you are not living as God's created and intended you to be. That's exactly what Jesus did when he came to this earth. He lived for the pleasure of God. He answered what we were created to be and can no more be after we have fallen ourselves into, into sin. Now that's where all authority is. And last week we saw as, uh, Matthew 28, verse, uh, what is it, verse uh, 18. When we read and have read it so often, when Jesus says, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. That was quite a discovery, wasn't it? He didn't have this power before. He's given it. The devil challenged him in the second temptation, this, or the third. Just fall down before me and I'll give up the entire universe to you. Just worship me just once. And he didn't. The only way for him to earn the authority over all heaven and earth was by obedience. And he received that. He's been given the authority. Now notice, he has given all the authority. The word authority, sorry, the word power in the Greek means the word authority, or it means the word permission and the liberty to do as pleases him. So when we read in Philippians chapter 2 that all knees should bow at him, do not just think that means confessing him. All knees should bow at him means all knees should obey him. Every one of us is called to obey Jesus Christ. The next verse speaks about the confession of our faith in him. 
And every tongue should confess that he is the Lord of glory. And he has been given all authority. Now, may I ask, does that submission to Jesus' authority and does that confession of Jesus' saviorhood adorn our life? He is Lord and Savior. We obey his lordship. We trust his saviorhood. That's a real Christian who trusts and obeys. Now, thirdly, we saw last week that we are given authority. I have a certain measure of authority in my home. So do you. Or what other other positions you may have. Well, we were not given all power. That's only Christ. We're given limited power. I have no authority over your children. Those are yours. That's limited. I have authority over my children. That's God's assignment to me. So our authority is always limited, never universal, never all. So there's no earthly ruler who has any unlimited authority, not in a nation, not in a family, and not in a church. And who decides what are the limits of that authority? This book decides that. That's why we study this book also now around the fifth commandment. We need to know what are the limits of my authority. Not only the limits, what does God want me to do within those limits? I don't want to step outside of that. But I also don't want to fail within my limits. What is my task when I carry this authority God has given me? For example... Our government has been given a sword. Romans 13 we read last week. To punish the evildoer. The criminals. They are to use that sword, which is an authority thing, to punish those who have transgressed the civil law. It is not giving me as a father or mother a sword. You see, I have a rod but not a sword. It's a big difference. Yeah, what does a rod mean? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So oftentimes we think a rod is something you can beat up your kid with. Sorry, friends. It's not what a rod is for. The rod is the staff that the shepherd uses to guide and to coax and sometimes you need to tap that, ch- that sheep. It's a rod. For example, in our church setting, we also have authority as elders. They have authority. They don't use a sword either. They have a rod, the rod of discipline. And what's the purpose of discipline? It's medicine. It's not judicial. It is to save the sinner. It's to reclaim the sinner. It's to gain him back from the way of sin. Same way as a parent. I have a rod. Not to punish. Chastise. Yes. But that's the difference between punishment and chastisement. Chastisement is to gain. Restore. The one that is straying. 
to come back to the right way. So see the limits that we have as fathers and mothers, uh, as as uh, also I, I, as a husband, I have been given a limited authority over one woman. Uh, this is my wife. I don't have any authority over any other woman that is be uh, outside. So the fourth thing that we learned last week is that the authority we're given is ambassadorial authority. Let's just think about that word again, ambassadorial authority. The authority we were given, we're given as an ambassador. So the way I exercise my authority as a husband or as a father is not to be shaped or to be directed by my personal agenda or my interests or my personal likes or dislikes. It is not to be directed by my cultural perspective or my revered traditions even. It is to be totally dictated by this book. You would all agree with that. I hope. This book tells me how I am to be an ambassador in my authority. And reflect on you again, the opening pages of the Bible, which the entire book of Genesis is so foundational for every part of our teaching, isn't it? God created man in his own image. And he said that right after when he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Notice the connection, right? I make them in my image and they shall have dominion. They're going to have some authority. So in our authority, fathers, mothers and husbands, teachers, governors, we are to reflect the image of God in that as well. In all times, we are to be reflected, particularly of Jesus Christ. For at this moment, you rule on his behalf in your family, over your spouse, for a little time. It's not eternal, it's temporary. But we do it on behalf of Jesus. That's an amazing thought. We are not only to faithfully carry out his revealed will, we are also to do it in reflection of how he does it. And that's where I parked your mind yesterday, last Sunday for a while. We are to do it how he does it. And then I think back of the Psalter we just sang. He has authority. The mighty acts are awesome. And men with awe confess. Impressive. Goodness they shall sing, thy great goodness, thy perfect righteousness, thy graciousness and compassionateness, thy wrath which is slow to rise, thy unboundedness and love. And I know that's challenging. I know, we all know that being in the parenting business, 
or even in a marriage life. It is challenging to be a Christ-like authority. We get tired. We get frustrated. We feel hurt. We feel like we're disrespected and dishonored by our subjects. We may lose control. And as I was pondering, and I'm sure you could ponder about your own life, then sometimes I spit instead of soothe. Spitting words, nasty, angry, impatient. That does nothing to the spirit that is standing in front of me. And I'm to soothe that spirit, to win that heart. We all have those moments that we rage instead of rule. It's a big difference. We lost control over our own spirit and rage. We've lost at that moment the privilege to reign because we're dangerous. Sometimes we demand instead of serving. Sometimes we end up shaming instead of teaching. And beloved, that is not what Jesus did and do. Yes, he was at times also frustrated and angered and felt disrespected, but he didn't spit And he didn't rage. And he didn't demand. didn't shame. That's where we were last week. The ambassadorial authority. And as I pondered through this, I came across Matthew 20. We're going to stop to sing first. We'll look at what God is teaching us tonight in Matthew 20. So let's sing first. Psalm 386. Verse 1 and 4, 386.
What a fitting prayer this is also when we are leading uh, those who may not be willing to be led. Guard my thoughts, O God, and set his watch before my mouth. Nor leave my sinful heart astray where evil footsteps lead away. We all know those moments that we let our evil lead us. Also in our positions as husband or as fathers and mothers. Let's leave it with those two because that's most applicable to us, but perhaps also to those of you who are help, having employees or you're dealing with your, your animals. And they also may sometimes feel your rage instead of your rule. Wrong. Let's listen to what's happening in the teaching of Matthew 20. Uh, authority is all of God. He's delegated to Jesus. He's been delegating it to us, limited. And we've delegated it to us in an ambassadorial way. Now, what does Jesus teach about the exercise of authority in verse 25? Let's read Matthew 20, verse 25. But Jesus called them unto him, and he said... You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. And they that are great exercise authority upon them. Congregation, Jesus is teaching us here that authority is never to be self-serving. Never. That's the world's way. The scene that we are having around you is very ugly. You see, right? We read it from verse 20. Very ugly. John, James, beat the other ten to it. Did you notice that in verse 24? They're all the same mindset. But John and James just were a little bit quick for the other ten. And they took mom along, aunt of Jesus, and they want to go and to ask him that they would sit on the right and the left hand. John and James were power hungry. They liked the idea of the status. The stars and stripes sitting on the right and the left hand. Having everybody else serve you. They liked that idea. thought that was really good to have that position. They're in the world's way, Jesus tells them. Verse 25. What did the brothers do? Notice they used manipulation to get their way. Who did they manipulate? Mom. In this case. They want to use their mother to satisfy their hunger for this power and this privilege and status. And as I noticed already in verse 24, there's also holy ambition in all of them. Because they all want to be sitting on those thrones. And then after that comes Jesus' teaching. I just see him calling his 12 disciples around. He says, boys, let's sit down on this for a moment. It's not raging. He's not saying, how do you dare ask us a thing? Even though they give this answer, 
That is so audacious. When they say in verse 22, yes, we're able. They think they can drink the cup of suffering and they think they can go to the baptism of Jesus suffering. Yeah, we're able. Instead of raging, instead of becoming impatient and angry, Jesus teaches them. That's what we see in verse 25. It says, come, brethren, you know that the princes of the Gentiles, they exercise dominion over them. Notice the word, over them. And he repeats it. He says, and they that exercise a great exercise authority upon them. They are lording over them. They are using their authority over them. That's the world's way. That's, I'm in the driver's seat. You obey me. You follow my orders. You serve my ego. That's what that often means. You carry out my wishes and you uphold my status. I am the sovereign here because I've been given the authority. Now that's the world's way, Jesus says. That is totally the world's way. Sadly, this is not only found in the world. You notice where this happens. These are 11 genuine children of God. One of us not. This doesn't only happen in the world. This is happening in churches still. Children of God can act like this. I say, oh, but they were little babes in grace. Yes, I know that. But that's... Grace doesn't necessarily cancel this temptation for us to go into this mindset to begin to use my authority to demand and to order people around and to use my status and my authority to serve myself. Congregation, there are Christian families and there are Christian churches that are still filled with power-hungry people who act like sovereign kings. And they use all kinds of evil devices. Manipulation, they use suppression, they use force, they use control, they use lies, they use deceitfulness. Just in this week I had to study domestic abuse as part of my course and watched uh, an an actual counseling session online, uh, just so sneaky. This father, this husband. So abusive of his wife. But you would never see it. Except you live behind his doors. Pizza of a man in church. Absolute stunning man at his business. Everybody liked him. Took a shirt off for everybody. But he just controlled and slowly killed his wife. Inside the house. This man needs to hear what Jesus says. You are not given the exercise to dominion over this, over this woman. 
That's not my way. That is the world's way of using authority. And that, my dear friend, is not what Jesus did. I will tell you tonight what verse 25 is. That is one of the worst ways to break the fifth commandment. To use authority to benefit yourself. Is one of the worst ways of breaking the fifth commandment. And who of us is not guilty of that? If we use our power given by God in the position we hold to serve ourselves, you know what the Bible calls you? An Abuser. If I use my power given by God in the position I have received to serve myself or my ego or my comfort, I am an abuser. That's solemn and self-searching. And this happens when I order my wife to serve me. Get me that. Is never anything I can say to her. She's not my slave, nor my servant. As you'll see in a moment, I am hers. The next verse will tell me that. And this happens when I provoke my children to wrath. By my method. By my manner, by my attitude, by my demanding them to serve me or obey me in an unholy manner. So therefore I ask husbands and fathers and mothers, examine yourself and governors and teachers if we are power hungry. If we're manipulating our position, if we're using it control, if we are abusing our position to have someone to polish my shoes or to iron my shirt, I am not reflecting the image of God. In the way I use my authority. I am not reflecting the way of the master. As we will now see after we sing together from verse 26 and 27. So let's sing first. It's also 305. Verse 1 and 3. And what a beautiful testimony about this man. How blessed the man fears the Lord and greatly love God's holy will. And what follows in verse 1 and 3 of 305?
as I see many of our young people here too tonight. Children, this is why the scriptures are publicly preached on these subjects. It will be only a few years and you will be husband or you will be wife or you will be father or mother. And you will take those positions of authority. That's why for you this sermon too. It's not just for people like me who are husband and who are fathers and who are mothers. It's for you too, young people. So please listen. What is God's will for you? And begin to pray about this tonight. Lord, as I am looking forward to my time and I may be given this privilege of ambassadorial authority, help me to do it in Christ-like way. Not in the worldly way, in a selfish way. So what is then a Christ-like way? Well, let's first listen to Jesus. He says in verse 26, But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. So notice what Jesus says. He says, it shall not so be among you. This is a command. This is my will. I don't want you in my kingdom to act like the world acts. When I would give you authority, I'm not giving you the dominion over anyone. I'm giving you the position to be the servant. This is is so countercultural, isn't it, Uh, to even our own thinking. Jesus gives us a command, but notice in verse 28, he also gives us an example. I am the Son of Man. Now we know who he is, right? We know who's speaking here. This is the one who came from glory into the flesh. And who has gone to glory, who is sitting on the throne of heaven. He says, I'm not here to minister to, or to be ministered to, but I'm here to minister. And I will give my life as the ransom for many. I am the authority who have come to serve. What a glory. As I ponder with you. I just picture the Lord Jesus Christ in this page of Scripture. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served and to be given unto, but he came to give and to minister and to give his life. What a glory congregation, that meek and lowly heart. What a compassion. What a sacrificial ministry. What a non-judgmental. He had no beam in his eye. When he dealt with the moat, he did it so gently. This was a moat in the disciples, wasn't it? You'd say, this is a beam, all right. That sin that they just did to use a manipulation and unholy ambition and reaching for their stars in order that everybody else would serve me and I get the status and I get the, I get all the ribbons. No, Jesus says, brothers, that's not how it is. Be like me. Christ did it all the time, congregation. He overstepped the cultural taboos to serve and to free the oppressed. He risked himself 
to serve and to protect the most vulnerable. Who? The children and the women. Hey, boys, listen to this. If you want a real man, then look at my Lord and Master Jesus Christ. He's not a macho man bragging, being big and strong and putting down others and cutting down others and saying nasty things about others. That's not a man. You know what what that really is? I'm going to say it. That's a devil. That's a devil. This is manhood. And I see this great master serving, caring, stepping out to protect the vulnerable, willing to have everybody throw stones at him if they could. He was not afraid to stand by the woman caught in adultery, not stoning her, protecting her. That's a man. He's given that authority to use it to protect and to lead. Not to be served. Will you be real men, boys? When tomorrow school starts again. To protect, to lead, to use you. Uh, to make, make God give you this grace and look to Christ for it. That you be what? Well, it will not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you. You want to be great? Let him be your minister. Now, your word minister is not what I am here. The word minister that Jesus uses here is the word diakonai. That is deacon or servant. But a little bit of a higher servant. Notice the next word. He says, and whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. That's the word doulos. That's slave. That's the lowest ranking of slaves in the Jewish society. If you want to be chief, be a slave. This is countercultural. This is Jesus' kingdom. This is Jesus' kingdom. Husbands, you are to be a minister, a servant. You are to be a doulos, a slave. Fathers, mothers, teachers, governors, heed this verse. It is so well said by one. The symbols of Christ-like authority are not a throne to sit on and a scepter in your hand. The symbols of Christ-like authority is to be on the floor with a towel over your arm. Is that what you look like, husbands? To, before your wife? Is that what I look like as a father? I'm gonna ask David tonight. Is that what I look like as a father? Or as a mother, you? Using my authority. Not to be big. Not to have one serve me when I sit. But to be the servant. So let's conclude by now looking at Ephesians 5 briefly. I'd love to expound all of Ephesians 5, but I won't. I'll just take a few snaps out of it in relationship to what we just learned from from, uh, 
from Matthew 20. Ephesians 5, the apostle is giving the instructions about how the husbands are to honor the fifth commandment. For you as a man, we are in the position as a husband. Do we use that position in the spirit of God's word in Matthew 5, verse 25 to 30? Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. Now, I'm not going to read all those verses now. We'll go to that in a moment. But notice one thing. Notice one thing, that God gives husbands far more instruction than he gives the wife. For many wives, the reason is obvious. For too many men abuse their positional authority within the marriages. That's a breach of the fifth commandment. And they may not only breach it by active action, may also breach it by neglectful action, not doing what this says. We men are to study these chapters. And you girls who want to marry someone, you need to ask yourself, does this young man reflect already something of this? I always say to the young girls, Make sure you study how the young man treats his mother. And when you make sure when you start to date a girl, make sure you see how she treats her father. Those are two important things to study in one another before you commit to marriage. Why is that? Well, that's because this. This is, this is the reason what God is telling us here. So we can either neglect to love as Christ loved or we can reverse uh, to what Jesus just said we should not be doing and we make our wife the servant and the slave instead of us being the servant and the slave. Now just a couple of observations, husbands. Do you notice what God never said in this chapter? To us as men, as husbands, he never says that I can demand submission. I cannot demand that. I have not given the authority to demand submission. You go find it in here. I'm commanded to love my wife as Jesus loved his church. I'm nowhere commanded to demand Submission. Or to force it. No, I am to make submission easy by serving my wife like Jesus served his church. That was William Gouge's take on this whole chapter. Why is God giving all these public instructions, remember? So that we can learn to make the task of our husband or our wife easier. And how much easier it is for a wife to submit when her husband leads her like Jesus said in Matthew 20 and here as well. 
Now thirdly, keep in mind, when Christ began to love his bride, she wasn't beautiful. She wasn't submissive. Also, the time when we marry our bride, they are beautiful in our eyes. Whether they are submissive at that point, we don't really know yet. But we know that Christ's bride was not submissive nor beautiful. And yet he loved her. Husbands, love your wives, even if they don't turn out as beautiful. Or if they don't turn out as submissive. Love your wives. Even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Yeah, she may continue to, uh, Christ's bride continues to fail. She continues to disappoint the heavenly bridegroom undoubtedly daily. She falls short of what her task is to be. But Christ nonetheless is faithfully staying with her to the very end, though she's far from a good spouse. Jesus loved her deeply, sacrificially. Faithfully and humbly. Our Lord never clung to his own honor when he sacrificed himself for his bride. Now these are some of the thoughts I'm gleaning from this chapter tonight in our closing here. He endured shame, pain, scorn, dishonor, mockery, When, as the heavenly husband, he served his wife. We've got a long way to go, husbands. And I know that this is a high standard that God is setting before us and that makes us only realize how much we need the spirit of Christ in our heart, isn't it, to really love like that. Now, fourthly, notice what the goal of our task is as we lead and love our wives. In verse 26, it is holiness that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word and that he might present itself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's our task as a husband as well, that we may grow our women in sanctification. It is my task to see that the sanctification process in Michelle would grow and grow and grow and grow. God is using me for that. Though it is Jesus doing that, at least through the instrument of the husband, isn't he? Now, how do you accomplish holiness? How do we accomplish that growth in our life? Not with harsh and angry words. Not with shaming her. Not with glaring eyes. Not with silent treatment. Not with grumbling comparisons. If only you could be like so and so. Not like demands either. No, what then? Well, let's listen. That you might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the words. Which is powerful stuff. When is the last time you crept as a husband into the Song of Solomon and spoke to her 
like that bridegroom did in that song. That's written for that reason, you know. Not only, there's one, one reason. As Solomon pens the best merits counseling book ever in the Song of Solomon. You notice that the bridegroom praises his bride with words over 40 times. Washing her who is insecure. Oh, I am black and not comely. Don't look at me. He is washing her blackness with the ministry of words over and over again. That's what Jesus does, doesn't he? He's bringing the word to us. Not harshly, not powerfully, not gently and lovingly and reminding us, encouraging and again nourishing us and upbuilding and gently loving and soothing her, ready to confess. Um, if, if obviously he doesn't, but we need to, right? We need to be ready to confess our sins instead of excusing ourselves and we need to forgive and honor her as the weaker vessel. Wow, there's so much in this chapter. As I said, I only take a few thoughts out of it tonight. Love your wives and wash them with the water of the word. Husband, your wife loves to hear this upbuilding, warm and joyful and loving language, even when she failed. Because at that moment, they feel most vulnerable. And they don't need your harsh words. They need gentleness. That's the ambassadorial authority you've gotten as a, as a husband, isn't it? And as Peter writes about the woman as a weaker vessel, that's uh, interesting, isn't it, that verse? Learn to live with her and give her honor. I want you to notice that word honor there. I'm not only to receive honor from my wife. We'll do all that uh, in the future. But I'm also to honor my spouse. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. Now, there's all kinds of good explanations about the weaker vessel. Right? We know our spouses are put together wiredly differently than we men are. But one author opened my mind to this week. That this fragile, that's what the word weaker means, could also refer to the context of what Peter writes about. The woman is in a more vulnerable position as she has given herself to be subject to you. That's a fragile place to be where they can easily be abused or used. Maybe that's also one of the meanings. Learn to dwell with her in gentleness and loving because of the weakness of her position. Now then, lastly, if this whole standard of loving Christ as Jesus, I mean, loving your wife as Jesus loved this church is a little bit too divine for you. Notice what Paul is given to do. He goes a step lower. He says in verse 28, 
so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man yet have ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord his church. Most of us take pretty good care of ourselves, don't we? And we especially do that when we feel sick or tired or weak or broken or we shiver. We just don't diagnose and then give a big lecture when you feel that way. No, you nourish your own body. You creep in bed. You get a warm bottle. You make yourself a nice drink. Yet we nourish our own bodies when we feel weak and sick and painful. And that's what Paul says. That's what we do to our own body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. No man ever hated his own flesh, but nurses and cherishes it. And that's what we need to do. By the way, she is my own body in some way, isn't she? Because I would leave father and mother and would cleave together and we weave together. And I am to think through her, not about myself. Let it not be so among you, brethren. In my kingdom, you husbands, you be the servant. You be the doulas. And undoubtedly, there will not be too many wives that mind being submissive to such a husband. I've done quite a bit of marriage counseling over my life in my ministry of almost 30 years now. But I'd say that 97, 8% of all those marriage problems have a lot to do with husbands not doing Ephesians 5. Now that's indeed the case if you don't know Christ. You don't have the grace of Christ in your heart. And you're, you're living on your own selfish agenda. The unregenerate can never do this. No matter how well we try. Oh, in God's common grace, we see beautiful marriages, wonderful marriages still. In God's common grace, even those without the saving grace of Christ. But when that grace of Christ fills the heart, and the spirit of Christ begins to change this congregation. Then we come to where Paul ends the chapter. Where does he end it? With Christ and his church. And he says this great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Paul ends with the theology of God's relationship to his church. Remember, marriage was not an afterthought. Of the divine creator. Marriage was designed. With one purpose. To show to the world. Christ. Loving. His bride. Wow. What a beautiful task we have. And what an impossible task we have as well. And let's therefore. With this. Turn to God in prayer. Amen. Beloved Lord God and Father, creator and recreator, 
And not only art thou the recreator in this life of a heart that is fallen, dead in sin and trespasses and sin, but thou art also the recreator of marriage life. And Lord, we pray that what we have learned this evening from thy holy scriptures again, so applicable to every day of our life, deliver thou us, Lord, from the world's way, those of us who have authority given. Teach us to be the minister, the servant. Teach thou us to be the least and thereby to be the chief. Teach us, Almighty, to indeed love our spouse as Christ loved and to wash and cleanse them by the words that we speak and by the deeds that we do. Oh, transform the marriages among us, Lord, that they may reflect the glory of Christ in his church and that so we may be as a living epistle in the midst of our communities as they may see us in our marriages, in our families. And so, blessed God, we confess to thee that great many sins that cleave to all of us who are been addressed tonight, and we pray that thou forgive us, pray that thou cleanse us, pray, O God, that thou renew us, even now thou canst start us anew on a new journey even in our current marriage life. Lord, we pray for thy blessing on the week before us, the work week, and all that we have to do, we ask for thy guidance and for thy spirit and the protection. And all this we seek of thee again in Jesus' precious name. Amen.